This ain't your daddy's Star Trek. <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the always peppy, the always effervescent Cecil. Effervescent? I thought it was effervescent. I said it wrong. Yes, you didn't need to point it out. <laughs> yes, I did. Bastard. And the is it really being awake if your brain isn't activated, Peter? No, no, it isn't. Walking corpse at this stage. If you want to wake yourself up, get a little pep in your step, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now tonight, we're going to talk about failing upwards, which is something, according to Kevin Smith, you can only do in Hollywood. And I disagree with that because I think there's lots of industries where you fail upwards. My definition of failing upwards is when you are bad at your job as a creator. Now, in almost all the cases we're going to talk about, these people either make money, their their films are are financially successful, etc., where Cecil says that's not failing upwards. I say you're not good at your job. Just because it's successful doesn't mean you didn't fail at it. Cecil, you and I were splitting hairs right before we started recording. I consider failing upwards to be like a Tyler Perry. Everything he touches is god-awful, yet somehow it's successful. It'd be, it'd be the same thing with, like, Larry the Cable Guy. The guy is insanely successful, but he's god-awful at what he does. So I would consider Tyler Perry and Larry, Larry the Cable Guy failing upwards. I swear it's because people go see their movies ironically or something. Now, with, with Tyler Perry, he's got a built-in audience. There is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like older black ladies specifically. I mean, and I say this simply because every time, you know, I saw Boo and Boo 2 in the theater. It of was about, uh, well, <laughs> of course I did. Well, see, I didn't know the Tyler Perry movies lie to you in the trailer. When I saw the, the trailer for the original Boo, it was like, if you go back and watch the original trailer for it, Medea versus zombies. And I'm like, this is going to be hilarious. This is going to be like kind of a modern black exploitation film. And so I went seeing it under the, under the notion that it was going to be that. And what I saw was apparently every Tyler Perry film. So with the second one, they were saying that they were going to do more like what the first one was going to be. And I said, okay, you know what? I'll give it a shot. Again, it was the same thing. It wasn't, you know, Tyler Perry versus slashers. It was Tyler Perry, you know, Medea, you know, trying to get teenagers out of trouble. But anyway, but, but when I was there, it was like 99% older black ladies and like, I guess their grandchildren and me. Like, so, so it was, it was just funny. But, uh, as far as going back to you with, uh, failing upwards, we both know Hollywood does not care. 
If you make garbage that makes a ton of money, they would, they'll gladly take that over like a critically acclaimed film that makes like a dollar fifty. Now, sometimes if a movie is critically acclaimed, goes on to win Oscars, it'll end up kind of making money on the back end. So that works itself out. But usually if, if there's somebody in charge and they keep making a bad movie after bad movie after bad movie, but it keeps making a ton of money, why are they going to replace that? That's not failing upwards. That's actually success. Seating. Failing upwards is in a case of somebody in which there are there are plenty where they'll come on and they'll make bad movie after bad movie and the movies end up bombing or way underperforming and yet they keep getting bigger and better properties to make films out of and they keep making bigger and and worse bombs. That's my whole thing with, with failing upwards is it's, it's not that they're making stuff and succeeding. It's that they're making stuff and failing. And yet they continue to work in the industry when there's other directors who, or, or actors even who come along and they'll have like maybe one movie that tanks. And then their career's in the toilet. You know, it's like, what the hell, you know, how come this guy made 20 hits in a row, he makes one bad movie, and all of a sudden he's unhirable? I think you and I have a different definition of fail in this, in the case. Now, I don't remember the exact context of the Kevin Smith quote. By the way, the Kevin Smith quote is exactly, in Hollywood, you just fail upwards. Now, I don't remember the exact context of this, but I took it as failing as these people that just keep making god-awful movie, god-awful movie, god-awful movie, god-awful TV show, whatever it is, they just keep getting handed more and more and more. I've often heard the term, in maybe the last couple of years, credited to Alex Kurtzman. Alex Kurtzman, almost everything he's touched, almost, has made a butt-ton of money. But his stuff is so awful that it fails. My definition of failure is a terrible product no one likes. Your definition is who cares it made money. And I, I think that's where we, we have a little bit of a disagreement in the term fail here. Well, enough people seem to like the Tyler Perry, particularly the Medea movie, so you can't really call it a failure. We're just not really the demographic of it. They're failures as films. Now, leaving the financials out, yes, they make money. Lots of absolute garbage makes money. But that's, but that, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're a business and they want to make money. And if somebody but you can only do that for so long before the audience leaves you. Look at something like the Transformers movies. You can only keep making brainless garbage for so long before the audience is like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Okay, they made they made 5, they're working on the they've made billions of dollars. So and each one has made less money than the last one. So, but they've still made billions of dollars and they are going to keep pounding that drum spent until billions of dollars. But they made more billions of dollars than they spent. So what I'm saying is that they probably all told spent like maybe 1.5 billion on all of them combined and have made billions upon billions. Each one, I believe, has made over a billion dollars. In that instance, again, it's like, why wouldn't you keep pounding that drum until it's, you know, until you get into a point of where you're getting, uh, what's, what's the, the, like the old Corman films? I think you mean where they level out. Yeah. Uh, diminishing returns, diminishing returns. 
returns. When you start to get, when, when, okay, you've hit a point where you're diminished, you're getting diminishing returns. All right. Now we've hit a point where we're going to stop. They'll like reconfigure things and try one more time. Like they did with the, uh, the Bourne movies that, uh, that, that's really the way that it is. They're going to keep doing it, doing it, doing it, making money. And then once it stops making money, they're either going to stop making them or reconfigure them and try to figure out a way to make, you know, that big pile of money again. So that's not failing. That's that's succeeding against quality, you know? It's succeeding at failure. It's it's succeeding at being a a movie that there apparently is an audience for, so they're kind of giving them what they want. So it's not... See, I, I'm not even so sure about that. Now, maybe with Transformers and even Fall of the Risen, that maybe, you know, people were still going to see, hey, I'm enjoying these. Now, I'm not talking about people like us in this next instance. I'm not talking about movie fans, people who hate the Transformers films, blah, blah, blah. Even with the last two or three Transformers movies, some of my coworkers were like, I just got to go to see how bad it is. You keep hearing that term. I need to know how bad it is. They aren't going to these movies anymore to go, you know what? I liked this movie. It doesn't matter what you think. I liked it. They're going in to go, this is going to be a train wreck and I want I want a front row seat to this train wreck. There is not billion dollars worth of people that are going to see this because of how bad it is. There are people that legitimately enjoy this. There's far more that are enjoying this than, than the people that are going to see it to see how much of a train wreck it is. Yes, you know, every quote-unquote bad movie will have people that are going to see it to see how bad it is. The fact that you think that there's that many people that are going to go see it, it's just outlandish. It's it's not happening. If if that was true, like every bad movie would be a hit because everybody would go to see how bad it was instead of just being like, you know what? I'm going to go see something good. I don't know. I mean... Like I said, there's an audience for everything. I don't know if I really consider this failing upwards necessarily. It's just some some filmmakers continue to make money because there are audiences for their movies. Like for the Michael Bay Transformers stuff, they're a lot bigger in China than they are here. That's where they make the brunt of their money because over there they seem to really like the, the big CG robots and Mark Wahlberg. And also over there, and this is going to sound maybe a little racist, but it's actually the truth. There are quite a few directors that will, that have said things to this effect. In China, the story doesn't matter as much. So it doesn't matter how convoluted it is because in a lot of cases, the subtitles will create a different story than what was written. So when it's a highly visual movie, like a Transformers film, the story really doesn't matter when it comes to China. I could see they're just going, they're going for the visual spectacle. They don't care. It, it, it would be like us, it would be like one of us trying to watch a Chinese movie that has no subtitles. If it's strong enough visually, the story doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of a, a problem, but that's a totally different subject. But let's go back to somebody like Alex Kurtzman. Because I think Alex Kurtzman embodies failing upwards. You know, he made the Mummy movie, the, the Tom Cruise one. And, you know, he's helming the dark universe. And that movie was, it wasn't a financial disaster, but it was a financial disappointment. But it was a critical disaster, and it's a god-awful film. It's a structural mess. It's a rip-off of much better, smaller movies. It was a just a disaster. So, of course, they're allowing him to write the next two Dark Universe movies. And you just ask yourself, 
Does he have photos of somebody at Universal that they don't want out there? How does this movie failed, nobody liked it, so you can do the next two? How does this work? I don't even know. I mean, I'm not even necessarily paying attention to a lot of these Dark Universe movies because they've been, they've been shit. So like, I guess they're giving somebody that shit some more shit movies. I think because a lot of the people in charge of the money are idiots. Oh, oh, we are going to talk about that in a little bit. That That's part of this subject. There was a story that just came out recently where they were talking about the guy who greenlit the Han Solo movie when he was pitched the scene where Han Solo gets his name, which I've heard and I think it's idiotic and I don't want to spoil. I've seen the movie so I can confirm or deny. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen Han Solo yet because it just came out it's moronic and the fact that somebody was like yes we want you to write this movie because on the strength of this one scene anybody else would be like "Ugh." i mean there have been new you know i've seen numerous people saying oh that was one of the worst parts of the movie you know one of the worst parts of an already bad movie so i think that's really what it boils down to I've, i've run into so many instances where the people in charge of the money they have bad ideas and they force them into the movie. The movie comes out. People say, oh, I really like that movie, except for this one part, which ends up being the one thing that like a producer decided to force into the movie. So it really is just boiling down to a lot of the problems are coming from the, the people in charge. Just they don't have any idea what they're doing. They're not creative. They're money people. And they try to inject their own creativity into a movie, but they're not creative. So they end up making garbage. They they have somebody like this dude who's writing the Dark Universe movies, and they, for whatever reason, think that he has good ideas when really they're just shit. See, I think that actually comes down to he might be the one, he might be somebody who's willing to. I'm not going to fight for this script. I'll put all your ideas. He might be just a yes man. Maybe that's why Kurtzman is their go-to guy. He's going to do what we want, which means, well, you're a sellout piece of shit. Let's talk about like studio notes. You were talking about how the pe- the people in charge are usually stupid, and they are. Here are some Oscar-winning films. And some of their screenwriters talking about some of the most moronic notes they got on their films by studio executives. For the arrival, Eric Hersier started his pitch saying... That's what I actually know how to say. (laughs) Quote, it was the start of a pitch. I said, there's a spy and his wife. The executive stopped me and said, there is no wife. You may continue now. (laughs) Unquote. Uh... Or uh, Barry uh, Barry Jenkins on Moonlight. He was interrupted less than three sentences into his pitch for, so there are no white people in this movie? Unquote. Jesus. Oscar-winning Whiplash. You know how it's all about music and all this. After seeing a rough cut of Whiplash, a studio executive said, he's good at drumming. We get it. We don't need to see all of this. (laughs) For Hidden Figures, you know that movie about NASA and black ladies doing all the math for NASA? Mm. They were said, does there need to be so much math in this movie? Oh, my God. Uh huh. Sometimes it's not necessarily the studio head; it might be a star. Kevin Costner, also on on Hidden Figures, kept trying to say, "Oh, but how about if my character does this? How about if my character does this? What about this?" And because he's Kevin Costner, the studio kept saying, "Let Kevin do what he wants." The director did not let Kevin do what he wants, and he thinks if they'd let Kevin do what he wants, the movie would not have been an Oscar contender. Mm. It just, it keeps coming down to Taylor Sheridan for Helen High Water said that when, when he starts getting notes and I'm quoting, it just starts to sound like the teacher from the Peanuts cartoon. You just listen to him and you go, uh-huh, 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 and ignore everything that they say. <laughs> 
And that might be the reason that people like Alex Kurtzman are so popular. He might go, you know what? No, I will put all of your notes into the screenplay. Whereas some of these writers who actually care about the product go, no, that's idiotic. One of the notes for Pulp Fiction was they wanted the movie to be put in order because oh. they, they said it was going to be too confusing for audiences because they did, they did test audiences and there were audience members that didn't understand how Travolta was alive at the end when they saw him getting shot halfway through the film. And it's like, you, you people don't pay attention at all, do you? Thankfully, Quentin Tarantino had enough clout that he was able to say no. You know, they released it as it was, and it ended up being a, a monumental hit and a monumental uh, award winner. Again, it's just, it's hilarious when you, when you hear that. There's so many of those stories. And unfortunately, there's a lot more stories. You have a producer or somebody involved who uh, has a terrible idea. I want to fight a giant spider. Oh, the giant spider? Uh, Superman can't fly. Superman is not, uh, he can't fly, doesn't have a cape fights polar bears and has a sassy has a sassy gay robot well, no, no 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 he... example of failing upwards you have john peters who was like barbara streisand's hairdresser mm. somehow becoming a big time hollywood producer with the worst ideas ever imaginable and uh yeah well it wasn't uh it wasn't the sassy i think it was uh he was going to be fighting brainiac brainiac was going to have a sassy gay robot assistant and was also going to have a dog in the movie that uh, didn't like him and would constantly uh, bark and, and it, the dog could talk. I'm assuming he was thinking crypto, but like, but who knows at this point? And the dog was going to fight some polar bears that are guarding the uh, fortress, fortress of, solitude. of solitude for some reason. Cause Superman needs I, I, guards. I, I actually like, <laughs> I, I actually like the reason I like the reason why Superman can't fly because flying is fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that flying, was flying, saving people, horseshit. Go, yeah, that was. Uh, I think that was uh, on Kevin Smith's second like spoken word that uh, was a talk harder, uh, where he was talking about the Superman thing, and it was just hilarious. Like all the all the the stuff. You're like, oh my god, what? Like part of me kind of wanted to see that movie to see like how far off the because people complained about Man of Steel straying too far from Superman like that was so far off the ranch as far as Superman's concerned well it was gonna be Nicolas Cage and at one point Sean Penn was considered yeah like really guys well, okay, let, let's stick with executives for a moment. The name Tom Rothman might not be known out there in the general public for moviegoers, but Tom Rothman is the reason from about, I think it was from 2002 to 2013, 20th Century Fox sucked. Tom Rothman, now, according to Cecil's definition, is not a failing upwards, because under Tom Rothman, 20th Century Fox never had a single year where they lost money. But when you look at Tom Rothman, hated science fiction and he always tried to meddle with it when he had to for instance he actually and this is on record from brian singer and some other people he actually tried to sabotage the first x-men movie this is before he was in charge when he was a lower level mm. executive to sabotage the first x-men movie in 2000 because he was quote sick of hearing about it he wanted it to fail so people would quit pitching X-Men projects to 20th Century Fox. He went out of his 
way to sabotage the film because he hated it. This is the same guy who fought against Avatar and Titanic. He thought Avatar was stupid and Titanic was boring. Well, I agree with those this is two. The man who, this is the man who killed an ID4 sequel in, I think it was like 1999 or 2000, because he wanted it to be direct-to-video and didn't think, well, and it, nobody wants an Independence Day sequel. Does this, anybody, though? This is, okay, maybe. But in 99, I would have been much more... 99 would have made more sense. Um, yeah. You know, 2000, exactly. 2016 is like, wh- why now? Like, <laughs> right, an, an ID4 sequel in 1999, I would have gone to see oh, that. God, it probably would have been way better than what we ended up getting. Probably um, would have still had Will he, Smith in it instead of like just a picture of Will Smith. Tom Rothman is the man who kept Deadpool in development hell for nearly a decade because, and I quote, Deadpool is stupid. This is the same man who who was the one who decided Aliens vs. Predator would be PG-13 and and wanted to make Predators a PG-13 because he didn't think these movies needed to be rated wow. R. This is the man who, for the original Fantastic Four movies, not the Corman ones, but Fox ones, wanted Galactus as the that big cloud because he thought the comic book designs look stupid. He's the, This is the one who fired Brian Singer from the X-Men movies and demanded that X-3 be more fun and less preachy. This was the man who canceled Firefly. This was the man who wanted more CG in Daredevil, in their Daredevil movie, so it would, quote, look more like a Spider-Man film. Do I need to keep going on about why Tom Rothman f***ing sucks? Yeah, well, that's a serious hack right there, for sure. I don't disagree with you, but again... Looking at the the financials of it, which is all the people that are in charge of whether or not he keeps his job, that's all they look at. They don't they don't give a shit about all the little ancillary stuff like this, all the stuff that that we like are dealing with. They're just looking at the bottom line. And as much as that sucks, as frustrating as that is to hear, to hear somebody who's made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, they not only get to keep their job, but to get to keep, keep a very high profile job when they obviously don't even understand that job. It's infuriating, but I understand why, you know, I don't, I don't agree with it. The people that are in charge of, of keeping him in his position or not, they don't care. They're just looking at the bottom line and they're like, well, this guy, he's got bad ideas, but he obviously is delivering in some capacity. I'm not so sure about that because what finally happened that ousted Tom Rothman from Fox's good graces was after he let four major high profile movies, all which went to became to become hits at other studios slipped by because he was micromanaging them to death. And by the way, they were all sci-fi or fantasy related because remember, he hates science fiction. He thinks science fiction is stupid and he always thought, quote, Fox should be doing something better than this. So in other words, he thought sci-fi was that stupid kid stuff and he hated having to work on it. Ted was the final nail in his coffin. Ted's not a 20th Century Fox movie, but it was going to be until he shot it down. And then Ted went to make a half a billion dollars theatrically for Universal. <laughs> and that was finally the last straw where Fox, Fox's board of directors and Rupert Murdoch was like, you know what? You, you have stopped four major films in a row that other studios ended up picking up. Your hatred of science fiction is, is just finally detrimental to Fox. Well, yeah, but how long did that take? 12 years. How many? 12 years. It took 12 years for, for them to finally boot his ass out the door. Do you know where so, he landed? Probably in a Sony. Like a lucrative position. Yeah. And, 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 and do you know, oh, is he, 
is it was was he a front runner for uh for Girlbusters? He was. And, He's uh... the one who brought Girlbusters to Sony. <laughs> this is this is where you go. What the f- it, how does Tom Rothman keep getting jobs? This man sucks. Yes, that, that compared to like Tyler Perry and, and Michael Bay and stuff is actually a mystery. Like with, with Tyler Perry and Michael Bay, it's like sure, we don't really like, well, I don't really like the Transformers movies. I like Michael Bay's other stuff. Tyler Perry as an actor can be okay sometimes. Like he, I liked him in, uh, Gone Girl and things like that. Like when he's, when he's playing it straight, he's not bad. It's just the, the cringy humor that gets me. But I, I understand the audience for the Transformers movies. I understand the audience for the Medea movies. I get that there are people who go to see them where they make enough money so they can finance another movie to make. There's, there's something there. But when it comes to these like execs that, that keep making money and do keep failing upwards, like they'll, they'll lose like four movies that could have been blockbusters and made the studio tons of money and then they get, like, then get hired on by another studio that's paying them just as much, if not more, uh, to make the same ridiculous decision. See, that I, I, I don't understand. That literally is the the definition of failing upwards. Yeah. Now this case is a fail. Like when when he got booted and then got another position at another studio to fail, that is failing upwards. So that is absolutely on. See, but then let's talk about actors. Now we all, we often talk about actors who are just not very good at their job, like Channing Tatum's. The one that boggles my mind the most, and I thought he was gone, and then he just had a new movie come out that is already a contender for worst movie of 2018, Sam Worthington. What the fuck? Oh man, what's he in now? He's in The Titan. <laughs> It's 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 a Netflix movie that is so bad, so poorly written. It's borderline laughable. Where he he becomes a soldier that's going to undergo undergo scientific experiments so he can live on the moon of Titan, so they can start mining it. And it is so bad. Almost encourage people to see it to go. You want to write a screenplay? You people want to make a movie? Watch The Titan to learn everything not to do when you're making a science fiction movie. This movie is so bad, if if I didn't know better, I'd say this was an intentionally bad movie to satirize bad action sci-fi movies. But it's played so earnestly, I know it's not. It was probably a genuine attempt and just was a failed movie. And plus, getting Sam Worthington isn't going to do much for your movie. That guy has literally the charisma of a block of wood or a piece of uh, burnt toast. Exactly. It's a shame... The idea sounds good, but, uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah, the idea is interesting. Almost any other actor would have been, would have been better. Because, okay, mm-hmm. Sam Worthington for a while, and maybe he just had a fantastic agent. Who knows? But he was in. Yeah, he was in everything yeah, for a little and bit. He, all yeah. giant movies. He was paid, you know, 20 million bucks a film. Then all of a sudden he just kind of went away. And I, and I thought, okay, he's done. They finally got rid of him. They finally got sick of him, unlike with Channing Tatum. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he pops back up as in like that Unabomber miniseries on the Titan and he's doing the, uh, the next Avatar movies and you just go, why? Why Sam Worthington? Are those Avatar movies even really going to happen, though? Yeah, they they are. I think they're, they're filming at, back at the to back very to back, least, I think. At the very least, two and three are probably going to happen. Talk about no one caring anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, here's one that, that kind of cracks me up. I mean, I, I understand it, and I don't understand it. Chris Tucker. You don't have who, to say anymore. I'm already on like, board. Chris Tucker, yes. <laughs> Chris Tucker, he has one thing that he plays. He plays annoying black guy. 
you know, it, it, I mean, that's really, that, that is his shtick. He plays and, the high, high voiced, constantly complaining yeah. guy. And I mean, it in Friday, it worked because Friday is hilarious. Yeah. But fired for me, day something off. like this. Yeah, like Friday is is hilarious. Like I think that shit is funny. But I will say that um the the father in Friday is kind of like he made it. I mean the neighbors and everybody is really also what made Friday funny. It's not so much Chris Tucker. His reactions were funny. But in something like The Fifth Element, I didn't think it worked. In Rush Hour, like I, re- I was just like ugh. But the thing was, he was somebody who he in in 1998 he made uh, Rush Hour with Jackie Chan, which made a ton of money. Over the course of the next decade. He made three films. He made Rush Hour 1, Rush Hour 2, and Rush Hour 3. That's it. When they were working on trying to get Rush Hour 3, they brought him back and paid him $20 million. Why would you pay him $20 million to come back to basically do the same role that he's always been doing? He's not like a Denzel or something that he really can play in just about anything. Mm-hmm. He has one character that he plays. They brought him back. Like, it's not like he had this string of hits and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they want to bring him back for this. He hasn't done, he didn't do anything since 2001. And then in 2007, they want to pay him $20 million to come back to do this. It's just, and now he, he did Silver Lining Playbook. He did, it was a, a hit, but it wasn't a hit because of it him. It was also a dramatic. He did role Billy Lynn's halftime walk. dramatic. But he, yeah, but again, but it, but it was, I mean, at least I'll give him credit for trying to not do that. But again, he hasn't done anything in a while. And now Rush Hour 4 is, you know, so it's like, they're they're really paying him to just kind of come back and do the same role just over and over again and uh and but paying him a substantial amount of money to do the same thing now i don't fault him for it they're willing to pay for it but it's just that is kind of in a sense a bit of uh of of failing upwards because it's like all right well we're going to continue to pay you a crap ton of money you're gonna you know you're gonna make this but you're only going to do the same character that you're always doing it's it's kind of a that one's kind of a mix failing upwards but also you know they are making money i don't know i don't think rush hour 3 made as much money as they were hoping yeah, for no though. no it, it made a i don't even think it made half what the second one did yeah because uh because i think people were kind of it was also you know it was six years between films with sequels eh, there is a window yeah you know? who's who's thinking about rush hour at that point like i i don't know i didn't mind the first one at least for like jackie chan but it never like stuck out to me as like a, a special series of movies or anything the first one i didn't like i actually surprisingly really enjoyed the second one the second one was fun too because they they did a lot more and they toned chris ducker down a lot they made him mm-hmm. a lot less annoying like in the first one you know he was essentially he was ruby rod as a cop and yeah. uh you know and and the third second one they, they kind of pulled it back a little bit but and then the third one, I'm just like, oh, God. Now they said, all right, let's just ramp them up to 11 again. Well, there's a weird uh, script problem in Hollywood when it comes to failing upwards. Now, again, Cecil might not say they're failures because a lot of these, not all the ones I'm going to mention, but a lot make a bunch of money. But you've got somebody like Akiva Goldsman. Akiva Goldsman, I think, might actually be the worst mainstream Hollywood screenwriter of the last 25 years. Yet he's also the most in-demand Hollywood screenwriter of the last 25 years. And his his scripts are so bad that, of course... He's a screenwriting teacher. Kind of in that same way that E.L. James, the author of Fifty Shades of Grey, teaches literacy classes and teaches writing classes. And you go, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) 
Akiva Goldsman. Okay, this is a guy who constantly is handed major franchises, major blockbuster films. This is the writer of The Client, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Lost in Space, Practical Magic, I, Robot, The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, A Winter's Tale, Rings, Transformers The Last Night, The Dark Tower. You know, those awesomely written films. <laughs> and, and and strangely, this is the weird thing about Akiva Goldsman. I think he's a fraud. Now, go with me here. He won a freaking Oscar for Best Screenplay for A Beautiful Mind. I cannot see the same man that wrote Lost in Space and I, Robot and A Winter's Tale and Transformers The Last Night also writing A Beautiful Mind. I think he had to have stolen that script. There's no way these two scripts came from the same person. Not a chance. I don't know. I mean, I I know that the most of the movies you listed there are incredibly forgettable to bordering on some of the worst stuff ever made. So you you might be onto something there. He could have paid off someone uh far better than him to write the script or possibly stole it. Who knows? I mean, there's there's a lot of like failing upward writers in in Hollywood as well or ones that really I feel like don't deserve the position they're in like 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 David S Goyer has flat out admitted that he's terrible at writing dialogue and that he lets his actors come up with their own dialogue like that's what that's what Goyer did for Blade he was like he would just come up to Wesley Snipes and say well what do you think Blade would say and it's he's outward he's outward admitted that he can do structure but he can't do dialogue and i think it shows i mean if you listen to a lot of the dialogue in like the christopher nolan batman movies like it's nothing but exposition so so i don't really understand how some some of these guys are in these really high profile movies yeah it it's weird the way that um some of these people just they can crank out crap and uh it it ends up being uh, big hits Especially when you, you see certain movies and you're like, you know, that was good, but like the writing was so bad or the lines in it were so bad. So I don't know. I think that, um, they somehow just get attached to certain properties and they end up being hits and then they just keep getting the work. And maybe he's a yes man, you know, maybe he'll put in all the notes and not fight for it because he doesn't care. Yeah. Mm. He would have put in the, uh, the polar bears and, and the, spider. the <laughs> and, and, and the spider and the giant mechanical spider, which we did eventually well, well, get West. in, um, well, 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 West. West. but okay. <laughs> but then there's also s- someone like Damien Lindelof honestly perplexes me in Hollywood. I'm not going to call the guy a hack. I think he partially is a hack. I think Damien Lindelof is half of a hack. He does have great ideas, but he never knows how to make those ideas work. Damien Lindelof, this is the co-creator of Lost. He wrote Cowboys vs. Aliens, Prometheus, Star Trek Into Darkness, Tomorrowland, The Leftovers, things like this. And you go, all of these are great ideas. How do they always turn out to be absolute ass screenplays? I think Damien Lindelof is like... Go back to 70s television. Glenn Larson, you know, the creator of Battlestar Galactica and Quincy and all this stuff. Glenn Larson always came up with great ideas, and he should have never been allowed to write any of the episodes after that. Sometimes in Hollywood, there are idea men, and unfortunately, they always think they're screenwriters, too. Oh, he wrote Cowboys vs. Aliens? I like that But again, it was a good idea, but it was not a good... I didn't like, I thought the screenplay was absolute garbage. But again, not a bad idea. I think there are certain, like Damien Lindelof needs to just be, hey guys, why don't you do this? And then you hand it to a more competent screenwriter. 
I think he should mm. not be allowed to write anything he creates because that's where it all falls apart to me. Yeah, some of the dialogue in the movies listed are a bit clunky, so I can see that. But his ideas are, are good, though. Yeah, I agree. Maybe he should pass it off to somebody who's a little better with uh, dialogue or, or structure. But that can be said about a lot of screenwriters. Yeah, I think uh, good ideas, but uh, bad execution. So, I mean, you need to have him working with someone as opposed to somebody who will either rewrite other people's ideas or just be the sole writer. He conceptually comes up with good stuff and then just doesn't really know how to follow through with it, and it ends up kind of suffering well, in the part end. part of what Lindelof's problem is and I don't know if he got this from J.J. Abrams because J.J. Abrams has made comments about the same sort of philosophy when it comes to writing, although Abrams is a far better writer. The mystery is more interesting than the answer. And you can totally see this on Fringe and Lost and things like that from Lindelof. They they love bringing up a mystery and a plot point, and then they hate actually having to answer that mystery or plot point. J.J. Abrams has outright said the mystery is far more interesting than the answer. And when you look at shows like Fringe and Sleepy Hollow and Lost and things like that, you go, that's the problem that you guys have. You need to actually have an... You can't just keep asking questions of the audience if you don't want them answered. You can only do that for so long. But Lindelof's made a whole career out of doing that. Let's bring up questions. Okay, what's the answer? I don't know. We need to talk about Alex Kurtzman a little bit. And this actually brings Akiva Goldsman in it. Now, I'm not going to fanboy rage or anything, but Star Trek Discovery. You know, their first season's in the can now, and they're prepping season two. Star Trek Discovery, generally, this is not just my opinion, but if you look at the critical response, it is the most insulting thing to ever have the Star Trek name on it. Star Trek fans hate the show. Let's take the Star Trek name off of Discovery for a moment. Just look at this as a sci-fi show. It is one of the worst written sci-fi shows I've seen in the last 15 years. It actually boggled my mind as I was watching Discovery episodes at just how any of this stuff made it on the air. It's... I swear they were shooting first drafts of most of these scripts. They were so god-awful. And so, of course, written by Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman. And you just go, how do these guys get handed Star Trek? How? How do you get handed Star Trek like this? How do you let this kind of Star Trek get on the air? Um, for good boy points. Like, they, they, they lied about this show repeatedly. Like, I, I don't understand the like the the need to keep going back well this is the first female or no the the first the starter was this is the first poc captain in star trek history wrong this is uh they went back and oh this is the first female captain in star or star wrong. trek history wrong this is the first and she's they also kept, not the captain well they kept adding qualifiers and change as they say moving goalposts until they finally got it right do you even understand the property that you own like i don't give a shit who the captain is i want a good show like i don't like you know is like i didn't have a problem i liked janeway in in voyager i thought she was a great captain i really enjoyed voyager i liked i think you should really eat harry i liked 
uh, Cisco a lot when he shaved, you know, cause in the, in the first season, he didn't shave his head and it was like he was a little weak and then he shaved his head. And you're like, Oh shit, Hawk's the captain now. And like, and <laughs> they actually wouldn't let him shave his head because of that. They thought he looked too much like Hawk. So they required him to have hair in the first season. Yeah. And then he did. And then it was like, Oh, now, you know, now we got Hawk's the captain and it was awesome. And it's, it's just hilarious that you have these people that are coming in and they're like, we're going to shake up the status quo. And it's like, you, you're shaking up the status quo on something that did it 20 years ago. They're you know, not shaking like, up shit. The, the show not... just looks like the Abrams version of, of Star Trek, which is basically just Star Wars. Big, dumb space battles and even goofier looking aliens. Like I've seen some episodes of, I might as, might as well just call it Star Trek diversity. It's shit. <laughs> they're, they're trying to make it look more what, what they consider science fiction-y, like more, more Star Wars related where you have like space battles and everybody's betraying everybody and there's no actual trekking. You know, they're not really traveling anywhere. They're not really, um, studying any species. Like, like Star Trek is, is kind of just the, it's geeky sci-fi. Like it's not always about space battles. It's not always about shit blowing up. A, a lot of what drew people into Star Trek was sort of, you know, they're, they're analyzing something or they're having like peace treaties or they're, 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 they're diplomatically talking with other aliens. And then the last course of action to take is, is having the space battle with the Klingons or the Borg. Like every now and then something big and, and bombastic would happen in terms of like a space battle. But for the most part, it's like trying to keep shit civil. And I understand that the show is meant to take place like, oh, this is before any of this happened, you know, before before Kirk or even before the um the the Scott Bakula show happened. Uh, no, it, it, actually I'll stop you. It takes place after Enterprise but before Classic Trek. How the hell is that possible? Because in Enterprise the Federation didn't exist yet. Federation exists in this. This is after Enterprise but before Kirk. Thematically it mm-hmm. makes no sense like it it would maybe make sense if it's meant to be a prequel to Abrams Star Trek because I can see that evolving into those movies but I don't see it evolving into original Trek where all of a sudden they have like 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 shitty gray bleep blooping little computers on a cardboard set you also have to realize that with Star Trek diversity and I'm I'm going to be taking a quote. I can't remember if it was from Goldsman or Kurtzman. This is Star Trek for the Game of Thrones crowd. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is the Star Trek where people swear. The first time fuck has ever been uttered on oh, Star Trek God, was I've Discovery. Seen so many, I've seen so Characters many people get praise that clip, and it's just the yeah. cringiest looking thing. Yeah. Characters, characters in this, there's rape. There is graphic death. There are people get that are getting their limbs torn off. This is not Star Trek. And that's not me coming from a nerd perspective. That's me saying this is not Star Trek. This, this is Star Trek trying to be something else. This ain't your daddy's Star Trek. <laughs> But you also have something like, now, writer-producer Brian Fuller. Now, I generally like Brian Fuller. I generally like a lot of the shows that he's worked on, a lot of the movies. There's there's something that keeps happening, and you go, if you keep having to be fired from shows you create because of creative differences, and this has happened like seven times, maybe you're the problem? You know? Like, he was he was fired from Heroes for creative differences. Hannibal was canceled because of creative differences with the studio. He was fired from American Gods because of creative differences. He was fired from Star Trek Discovery for creative differences. You start to go, Brian Fuller might be the goddamn problem, not the solution, huh? Well, that or maybe he just isn't a yes man. 
I'm not. I'm not sure. I've heard. The, I've heard some of the stories from the American Gods season one set, and apparently he was clashing with the people who wrote the original novels. And he he told Neil Gaiman at one point, "That's stupid. We're going to do it my way." <laughs> That's pretty ballsy. Yeah. Yeah. To Neil Gaiman. Yeah. So. Maybe maybe some of Neil Gaiman's ideas are outdated. You know, you got to think of it that way. Maybe look at all these people who aren't being fired from projects that are creating junk, and the and this guy who has created some good stuff is having creative differences with the studio. Studios tend to have the worst fucking ideas. And right. also, and also the fact that it, it's kind of twofold. Number one, that he gets fired from a show, and the show gets worse. And yeah. And on top of that, he, the fact that he has the balls to stand up to them and still continues to be hired. So, I mean, I really, I like, I don't know entirely what his ideas are and what, you know, if he's saying things are good or bad. I mean, the Neil Gaiman thing could have been a one-off where, you know, maybe once he was actually wrong, but, maybe, yeah. um, but the thing is when you've got somebody like that, that is, uh, standing up to the studio who normally are in charge of garbage, the show gets worse after he leaves and he get, keeps getting hired. Well, he's obviously got something. Well, what about now? Again, this might not qualify into Cecil's definition of failure. I think Brett Ratner is probably the worst director working in mainstream Hollywood today. And I think this guy is the most talentless hack I have ever seen. Kept, he, he slowed down in recent years. Well, now he's not getting anything because he got me too'd. Right. right. That's why I said he slowed down. But how did Brett Ratner last so long in Hollywood? Everybody hated working with him. He, it seems like he it, was just the guy you got as a replacement if you couldn't get who you wanted. Like, it, it seemed like he was, you know, they lost Brian Singer, so they got Brett Ratner for the new, for X3. It was kind of just a, like a cheap uh, replacement. And you can feel it. His movies feel incredibly cheap. His movies feel very point and shoot. Yeah. Well, back to Russia. There's hour. nothing like special about them. He is still maybe not directing now, but his production company, Rat Pack Productions, is still one of the most sought after production houses in Hollywood to the point where even though you might not notice his name, like he was a, he was a producer on Wonder Woman and he's been fired from Wonder Woman too because of the Me Too stuff. Mm. But you know, the, the Rat Pack stuff is all over. You look for that Rat Pack logo at the end of movies. It's all over major films where he's got his fingers in it and you go, but this is the most bland, milk toast, boring director in Hollywood. <laughs> Why do you keep going to him? As far as producer as opposed to director, and just I'm going to throw this out there, maybe he is a better producer than he is director. Because if you look at the movies that he's produced versus the movies that he's directed, the stuff has come out a lot better. Because he's just kind of fronted the money and put up some of the ideas and kind of maybe did a little bit of creative pitching. But for the most part, it ends up being in somebody else's hands. So I think that that's probably why he is one of those guys who maybe works better as a producer as opposed to a director. They are different jobs. But but they're related enough that I can't – it's it's hard for me to see someone as bad of a director as Brett Ratner being amazing as a producer, though. I don't know. Like I said, look at look at the difference between the stuff that he's directed versus the stuff that he's produced. It's it's night and day. No, I don't know. I mean, he's the he's the X three guy. And I'm looking through. So I didn't realize that he's also directed Rush Hour. That makes sense. It's an incredibly bland looking film. And Red Dragon. God, Red Dragon sucked. 
<laughs> Red Dragon was, you know, I, I've read, okay, Red Dragon is one of, quick deviation, Red Dragon is one of those weird movies where, you know how we always complain, oh, they changed the ending from the book? Mm. Manhunter changed the ending from the book, because the book's ending is fucking stupid. It I is. I love the book, and so Brett Ratner was like, no, no, man, we're gonna put the book's ending back in, because fuck all of you. Because well, reasons. Well, no, I mean, in that case, it makes sense because you're, you're, you're appeasing the audience. They want, you know, they want, like, how many times do they say, stop changing the book, stop changing the book? And the one time they, you know, he's like, all right, we're not going to change the book. And it's like, no, change the book. Like, because <laughs> Michael Mann changed it from the book and made it so much better. He made it excellent. In this case, I would say that there is a large portion of the population that probably did not see Manhunter. They had started seeing the Hannibal Lecter stuff with Silence of the Lambs. So that was kind of their uh, per point of view on it. So, which is a shame because Manhunter is an amazing film. Brian Cox is, I, I'm not taking anything away from Anthony Hopkins. Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter is way scarier, way creepier, way more realistic. I love the Brian Cox Hannibal Lecter. And if, if I had seen the Anthony Hopkins one first, I can understand why, like, it, like you said, more people probably saw Silence. Brian Cox is better. Well, he's more I realistic. Think, he's a lot yeah. more, like, true to what that guy would be in real life. But getting back to the point, like, you can definitely, like, I, I didn't even know for the longest time who directed Red Dragon. I just know that I didn't enjoy it. And now kind of looking through, uh, Ratner's filmography, it's like, well, that makes sense. He directed Red Dragon. He directed, uh, Rush Hour, which wasn't necessarily a bad watch. I mean, I think it's mostly for Jackie Chan just being fun. Like, I think Jackie Chan in almost anything uh, can make something enjoyable just with his, like, stunt work and shit. But it is, like, looking back on it, it's a very bland-looking movie. Same with same with X-Men 3 and everything else that Ratner has his name attached to as a director. Like, he, he really is shit. Now, I don't know uh, how, much of a, how good of a producer he is either. He has a producer credit on that rock Hercules movie, and that movie was very meh. Oh, God. Yeah, I couldn't... I was kind of stunned at how bad... I'm like, oh, a rock Hercules movie. This is going to be fun. Oh, God, did it stink. Kind of like nothing. I, I felt like I didn't watch anything. Yeah. yeah it, it, honestly, it felt like a... It felt like a direct-to-video movie with better special effects. I mean, when the only thing... That... Honestly, that movie could have been like Conan-tier. It could have been like our, our, like, well, not our, but this generation's like Conan movie. Cause The Rock is, is perfect for a character like this. It could have been very big and grandiose and it felt like nothing. The thing about Hercules too is that what was more entertaining than Hercules was all the stuff that led up to Hercules. Like The Rock posting all the pictures of himself getting like Jack. And then finally he's like, when shooting, like it was showing like how much he was eating in order to like bulk up. And he had these yeah. like giant piles of food and stuff like that. Was so I'm like, oh, this is going to be really fun, and then the movie ended up just being like just really bland and completely forgettable. It'll never beat Lou Ferrigno fighting giant stop motion robots. It most <laughs> certainly will not. It just ended up being a bad remake of Umberto Lenzi's Iron Master, which I just George Eastman's got that lion head, and I gotta say, he rocked it better than uh, The Rock did. I just picked that up on Blu-ray. I can't, I like, fucking Iron Master on Blu-ray, yes. That is a the unofficial fucking insane movie. movie. 
Yeah, the, um, the Ator movie that doesn't count. Yes. Um, <laughs> and if I may throw an aside here, because I wanted to make sure to get this in, because since we're talking about directors that have failed upwards, one that has always been a thorn in my side is John Moore. Mediocre film after mediocre film, and he kept getting bigger property. Like he did Behind Enemy Lines for $40 million. It made $91 million worldwide, which is not really a hit. He did oh, Flight God, of the, the... The guy who made the Max Payne movie, right? Yep. He God, did. his movies are so fucking forgettable. They're he did so that, um, bad. Omen, he did the Omen remake. Yep, and then Behind he, Enemy Lines, which yeah, let's cast uh, Owen Wilson as an action guy. That's a yeah, good do, yeah. Oh, oh, Percy Lips as a as a freaking action hero, exactly. <laughs> but he did Flight of the Phoenix, which was a bomb. He did the Omen, which was the only film of his that kind of made money. It had a twenty five million dollar budget, but it made one hundred nineteen million. He did Max Payne for thirty five. It made eighty five. Property like that with Mark Wahlberg when he was like in 2008 when Mark Wahlberg was a pretty hot property to mm. make 40 million in the US like that's pitiful. And then hey, you know that movie you just made with a big star and it still bombed? Let's give you the Die Hard franchise. That billion dollar franchise and he made <laughs> the lowest grossing film in the entire series. For that, that might actually be due to Bruce Willis though because by that point Bruce Willis was calling the shots and they probably wanted a you know a yes man who would do what Bruce wanted. But even still, it doesn't matter. You know, you you could have paired him with a director who was going to bust his balls and get that performance out of him. You can still get a, you know, if you get a director that's a hard ass that knows how to work with difficult actors, then you'll get that performance. A diehard movie made $67 million domestic. That's pitiful. When it comes to failing upwards, do you think that this is a trend that can continue, especially with, with ticket prices rising, with attendance dropping, and with spoilers out there like Netflix and Hulu making their own original movies and all that, do you think, like, the Tom Rothmans of the world can continue the way they have been? Or do you think a reckoning is coming where eventually failing upwards, you're going to hit the ceiling? Parasites will always find a way to survive. Yeah, I was going to say something to the effect of what Cecil said, but I think he he said it better than I was going to. You summed people it up are well, gonna, Cecil. People are going to keep... Thank you. People are going to keep getting their projects bankrolled by the big old Hollywood machine for whatever reason, and idiots are going to keep going to keep going to see bad movies. If there's idiots that want to listen to us, where could they find Peter? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Cinematica, on YouTube, Cinemasochist, Facebook, Cinemasochist, on 1201beyond.com, and Patreon at Cinematica, where I hope to one day fail upwards. Well, Cecil is the exemplifier of failing upwards, but where can he be found? I don't know. I'm kind of laterally failing right about now. <laughs> Which I guess is a good thing, right? Yes, as long as I can, as long as I can, you know, put some food on the table, I'm good. Consistency. Uh, That's all that's needed is consistency. Yes. All, all, all Cecil's going to be able to afford are those cheap, what, Orv's pizzas or something? Oh, God. No, man. I can, I'm, I'm moving on up. I can f afford the bagel bites. Ooh. <laughs> the Bagel Bites pizzas. You can find me, uh, in squa uh, wallowing in mediocrity at, uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. I don't even fail. I, I actually fail at failing. But you can you can go to 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. 
If you're going to fail, at least fail spectacularly. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.